Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We have a celebrity guest to talk about the homeless issue. It's Armstrong and Getty's Extra Large. Because four hours simply isn't enough. This is Armstrong and Getty Extra Large. So does that mean this is, in theory, longer than our usual podcast? that the theory on that? I don't know. It's a long-form interview. Okay. Uh, So Dr. Drupinski is indeed a well-known fellow from the media, but he is an internist, addiction medicine specialist, um, and has been dealing with folks with substance abuse problems for decades and is absolutely uh, not only dead serious about the the bums and junkies problem, the homeless problem, if you want to call it that, uh, but is really uh, crusading and trying to get people to see it for what it really, really is. Uh, Dr. Drew, this is a pleasure. We really appreciate you joining us. How are you? My privilege. Thank you for having me. And we definitely have three people here that are in the category of don't get us started on the homeless situation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Oh, my God. I'm afraid of how when you when, when I get going, I, I'm afraid of where I go. I'm, oh. this, I'm the same way, too, I'd be part, partially because I had a, a personal situation with my family. We're an aggressive bum, got in our faces, threatened to uh, murder and rape my family. Uh, in front of me, I had to intervene physically with the dude. Cops were called. The guy's now in prison. I, I hated the homeless situation before that, but since then, I really do. Yeah, so listen, why don't we start with <clears throat> what it's not, the the giant homeless explosion in particularly the Western Well, let me jump in right there. I'll tell you, that guy that threatened to kill my family, he was not a guy who couldn't afford his apartment. Right. That right. is not what he was. It's not a guy for whom four walls is going to help. It's not going to help him to put him in a room of his own. He needs serious mental health treatment long term. And 
the conflation, the conflating of the real problem of a lack of affordable housing. I was a couple weeks ago at the Schwarzenegger Foundation uh, meeting he held, and at that meeting there was absolute consensus that the lack of affordable housing was a self-created problem by the extraordinary regulations in the state of California. Therefore, we could undo that if we had the will. That's one problem. Now, the lack of affordable housing, I would argue, is not that acute if we in Los Angeles could absorb 1.5 million undocumented workers in the last two years, and none of them are on the street. They're not on the street. How bad could the housing problem be if one and a half million people found housing? All right, but okay, we all agree there's a shortage of affordable housing. That is a separate and distinct issue from homelessness. Homelessness is the result of the dismantling of the mental health system in the state that resulted in the the patients pouring out onto the streets, the prisons, and the nursing homes. We have now pushed them out of the prisons. They're on the streets. And then we made the problem more acute by legalizing drugs and drug trafficking. So all the other addicts in the country who are homeless headed our way. That's homelessness. And it is killing, just in L.A. County, three people a day. Would you... Would Does you the body count need to be everybody before we do something about this? Right. What I want. Would you agree that it's useless to discuss homelessness unless we start breaking down percentages of the drug addicted, the mentally ill, the mentally ill and drug drug addicted guys I, who are just I, bums? I, I they're I, just dropouts. They'd rather not work, et cetera. There, there are a, probably that latter category is about 10 percent. Uh, and even those, a majority are probably taking meth. So it is, you know, look, I was up in Sacramento about a month ago. I went on the streets. I went around with the cops. I talked to all the homeless, and they all told me the exact same thing. The cops and the homeless, 90% are using meth on a regular basis. So we have 90%? 90%. And these were unprompted, ad hoc interviews with homeless and cops. And they on the streets of Sacramento, they all said the same thing. When I go out into Los Angeles, I ask, what percentage are doing drugs? They'll say somewhere between 60 and 80 percent. You go downtown in downtown on Skid Row and it's higher and the mental health issues are much more acute. This is unconscionable. No other country on Earth doesn't take care of people with brain diseases. It's too much. It's too much. I, I can't even believe what I'm seeing. This is a population I serve for 30 years. I know exactly what's going on. I know exactly what can be done for them. And I know exactly how well they can do. And I know those that need chronic custodial care. We have to get realistic about this. Well, and I just did, I became aware of this for the first time just a couple of months ago. The the trends, the, the almost crazes in mental health care that happened during the 20th century, including, as I recall, late 50s, early 60s, that there was this, this craze that the community mental health centers could take yes, care sir. of the mentally yes, ill. Sir. If you want to read it, that's exactly where we went off the rail. It was in it was a guy named Robert Felix, an unelected official who got the ear of President Kennedy and got him to sign the Community Mental Health Act, which was designed to eliminate institutions for the care of the mentally ill, because in the mind of these social engineer whack jobs, there were three psychiatrists that ran the National Institute of Mental Health for 40 years, non-elected officials. None of them had ever been in. One of them only had been in a state mental hospital. None of them had ever been in it. The rest of them watched one flew over the cuckoo's nest and thought they were watching a 
freaking documentary. They were not. And they decided to dismantle the system and that their goal was to create these community mental health centers who were going to, quote, prevent mental illness. So no provisions for what to do with those pouring out of the state hospital, some ill-conceived plan, which we still don't know how to do to this day, prevent mental illness. They were going to be social engineers. The excesses of psychiatry in the 50s and 60s on that side and what they did to the patients that were in institutions, unconscionable. So laws were put in place in the 60s and 70s that were a backlash to that. Those laws are approaching 100 years of age. They are at least 60 or 70 years old. They are anachronistic, and they are the barrier to the ability to treat the patients today. It was a reaction. I get it. I'm not apologizing or excusing the excesses, but those laws are the barrier right now, and they're, they're, they're approaching a century old. We've learned a little bit about how brains work and how to treat them in that 60, 70 years. It's time we change the laws. That's going to be necessary to address this problem. Why does it seem, I mean, we're talking about the, the 70s when a lot of these laws were passed, and they were a reaction to the cruelty of some of the first half of the 20th century mental health care, but it, why does it seem so much worse on the streets in the last 10 years? That's Prop 47. That, that is, that is uh, first of all, well, there's new people with mental illness every day. They have gradually strangulated the definition of gravely disabled. So, so you can't bring people into a facility for treatment unless they say they're going to kill themselves or kill somebody else. And if on the way in they go, ah, I was just kidding, they can, they're only allowed to ask two questions. Do you know where to get food? Yeah, there's an Arby's over there. Do you know where you're going to live? Yeah, I've got a tent on the underpass on Highland. That's it. You have to let them go at that point. So the notion of somebody being gravely disabled, having losing their leg from infection, lying in the street, you can't touch them. They, they, you, not only can you not touch them, you can't touch their belongings. So one of the one of the phenomenon uh, of the chronically psychotic patients is they will hoard their stools and urine. Can't touch that. Can't touch anything. They're entitled to do whatever they want, man. And that is killing people. It is ridiculous that we don't have gravely disabled anymore. There's a bill in Sacramento, SB 640. Uh, State Senator um, Morlock has brought families up there by the dozen saying, please help us. We are loved ones on the street. We have resources. We have doctors. We have a bed to put them in. We'll nourish them. Help us get these people home. They're told to take a hike. It's, it's morally reprehensible what our legislator is doing in Sacramento. It's truly reprehensible. We got they a heartbreaking no- letter from a, a listener with a son in exactly that position today. Yeah. All so, time. Hey, all listen, you, you, you mentioned uh, California's Prop 47, and I know from reading some of the stuff you've written, you're as staunchly uh, critical of it as us. Why don't you explain for folks what it was and why you think it relates so, to so, our problem? So, so I'm actually probably not as critical of you because I'm very sympathetic to the idea that these people do not belong in prison. Drug addicts don't belong in prison. They belong in mandated treatment. That is not prison. That is life-saving intervention. Prop 47 was an attempt to deal with the excessive uh, uh, imprisonment of the drug addicts. Instead, they made drug use and drug trafficking essentially a misdemeanor. And you give drug addict a misdemeanor citation, are you ever going to see them again? No. So it's a zero. It's a zero. You're also allowed in Prop 57 to steal $950 a day, misdemeanor. So they can traffic their drugs, use their drugs, steal to support the habit, unencumbered by law enforcement, who have just given up. They, they don't even – you just watch it at a target that, someday and watch people walk right past the, uh, the cashier. It happens all day long because law enforcement can do nothing. Citing them does nothing. So we have to create some kind of mandated treatment system. 
Otherwise, you are murdering these people. These are, make no mistake about it, people that defend Prop 47 are murderers. I've been dealing with drug addicts for 30 years. This is active killing of drug addicts. You can't allow an addict to use unencumbered and not expect them to die. It's a fatal illness. We know that. So anyone that defends the status quo is a murderer, period. Just because we're acting as enablers as a society. It's worse than enabling. It's, it's actually an active encouragement of the progression of a fatal illness rather than intervening in a way that – and by the way, if they wanted to say, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to create nursing homes where nurses administer the heroin and the amphetamine all day long and we keep them safe. If they want to do that, fine, go do that. I, I wouldn't even object to that. But if you're just letting addicts run unencumbered, they die. So you have to do one or the other. You have to go all the way and start administering the substance to them in a controlled environment, or you have to intervene. And trust me, having dealt with thousands of homeless drug addicts, they're way happier when you get them so they're way they and they can be great in fact i'm i have people in the department of justice that i'm working with right now who are recovering homeless drug addicts it's not that unusual mm. it happens it's tough it's time consuming it takes a lot of resource and a lot of structure and a lot of a lot of sort of damocles over their head all the time but they do fine so for god's sakes everybody let, let's let's get realistic here and and where why aren't they listening to clinicians well, this is the mystery to me that you have a mental health, an open-air asylum, and then refuse to consult with people that work with them. It's too mm. much. It's too much. So I don't, I've never understood this completely. There's, there's mental illness like my son's got. Um, you know, just it's, it's something that happens. It's, you didn't make any life choices that brought this on you or whatever. And then there's ruining your right. brain from drug use. Can you fix somebody's right. brain who's ruined it from drug use? Or are they just a, a ward of the taxpayer at that point? Or what, what do we do with them? It's, it's a great question. So, so is, let me answer your question, and then I'm going to give you a corollary issue. One is about three-quarters of the time, the, even the psychotic drug user will reconstitute. There was some crazy data that just came out, however, that shows if your psycho- psychosis was induced by either cannabis or methamphetamine, you're actually more likely to stay and remain psychotic from cannabis than amphetamine. This was shocking data to me. Mm. So both drugs are inducing psychosis, but one actually is more likely to be a long-term problem. Now, the, the issue of a, a spontaneous mental illness, which are about 1% of the general population, we're always going to have this. It is a phenomenon. It just, a, brains get sick, just like hearts. And when that happens and we don't treat it, you can lose people forever. If you treat it early and aggressively, they can do very well and actually return to a productive life. Weirdly, in this in the state of California, if somebody has a dementia and has confusion and hears voices and is delusional, and you don't intervene, you're guilty of abuse. With schizophrenia, with the same exact symptom complex, oh, well, you can't touch them. You're not allowed to touch or go near them. And the schizophrenia is the circumstance in which you can change the course of the illness by intervening. Dementia, intervening does nothing. And yet that's the one that we have to intervene on. It's insane. It's insane from a clinical perspective. And, and l- listen, you, you hear what the case I'm building here. People that defend the status quo are defending ruining lives and killing people. It's a genocide, and these people are defending it. It's too much. 
I, I wake up every day beside myself thinking about this because I know during the day three more will die just well, in L.A. County. Well, the case you just built, the comparison between schizophrenia and uh, and dementia, is incredibly powerful. Who are who are you pushing against? Who is saying no, Drew? You're wrong on that, or is anybody's that just any, any, the only person that really is listening is Ben Carson, and he's he's coming, he's coming. Uh, some of the immediate advisors to the president have listened very carefully, and they're looking for ways to pull levers to try to make things better. Catherine Barger, L.A. County Board of Supervisor Chair here in Southern California, listening carefully and taking deliberate action. Everybody else will, even when they start to talk about mental health, which I'm, I'm happy that Mayor Steinberg in Sacramento has begun to talk about it, will then mention it and back into a conversation about affordable housing. And that, to me, I just I jumped out of my skin. I can't stand even to listen to it when I hear that because, yes, go, go deal with affordable housing. Do not contaminate that topic with the topic of homelessness. It's contamination, and it's reprehensible for them to do it. It's clearly a moral failing on their part, and they need to change, or this problem is not getting better. So let me tell you what we got to do. You ready? Yeah. All right. We got to pass SB 640 and reestablish the idea of gravely disabled so we can bring gravely disabled people to care like every other country on earth. Number one. Number two, we need to expand conservatorship. Number three, we need a directive to physicians when there is a psychiatric diagnosis. Just like we have a directive to physicians when there's a medical diagnosis, there are circumstances in which the brain stops working due to medical or psychiatric conditions. In medicine, we do it as a matter of professional uh, uh, a mandate called the pulse form. We need the same thing for psychiatric care. So when somebody does decompensate, which is inevitable in most psychiatric illnesses, we are directed to go in and take care of them. We need to build resources, right? We need these, in particular, intermediate residential care, not housing, treatment centers. Call it what you will. We used to call them psychiatric hospitals. Let's call them something different. Let's call them life centers, whatever you want to call them. But the, the Social Security Administration and Department of Health are in the way. So it takes years of, of paperwork to get past them, plus CEQA the environmental protection laws that I don't know how you get around them. Maybe declare an emergency. They need to be swept aside. And in a year, you could have thousands of beds with them in place. It's going to take, it may never happen. So these are some of the things that are simple, simple. Our legislature could legislature in Sacramento could do it now. They're not doing it. They're not doing it. And it's, it's reprehensible. Dr. Drew Pinsky. And listen, Drew, we'll have uh, links to the, some of the stuff you've written at armstrongandgetty.com so folks can go over it again and get a little more acquainted with it. But uh, keep fighting a good fight and let us know how we can help, huh? We're just talking about it helps. Yeah. Uh, and again, don't, don't, uh, don't fall for the rhetoric. The, the rhetoric is so ill-placed and so off-base. It's, it's about modifying 47. It's about repealing 57. It's about expanding conservatorships. It's about SB 640, disabled. it's about resources for people that need mental illness that we've been ignoring for close to 70 years. And it's costing lives on a daily basis. It's an emer- Listen, if Corona were killing three people in Los Angeles on a daily basis, you don't think we would take action immediately? Come on, everybody. Let's get with it. Wow. Good stuff, Dr. Drew Pinsky. Uh, thanks, Drew. Good to talk to you. It's an interesting point on the coronavirus. Yeah, and he's right. Which, uh, yeah, if three people got it at all, it would be in the news, let alone uh, 
dying from it. You know, I appreciate what he said about the affordable housing thing. That is an issue, but it's not this issue. I'll never and, understand that. How do you, how do you not move if you can't afford to live somewhere? I just don't understand how you just don't well, go somewhere else cheaper. And again, it's a different question, a completely different question. Then the, the uh, you know, it's obviously a mental health problem. Spend spend ten minutes among the homeless, and you'll understand. It's a drugs and mental health problem. I just, but government gets power by passing money through itself. So how much, there's a hell of a lot more money in housing than there is in fixing a schizophrenic. Well, that's what I was going to ask: is how much <clears throat> of it is just cynical it can't be as much as i hate steinberg the mayor of sacramento um he can't be so cynical that it's just i just want the money to go to my friends no i think it's misguidedness well, well how could you be so misguided how, how, how ideological how, bubbles how could you possibly and it seems like it plays into these people's wheelhouse the compassion for drug addicts and everything like that and the mentally ill yeah why are they making it a housing thing I just, I don't get it. Because that's the conventional wisdom, I guess. I mean, we've been hearing that for years from, uh, and this is awfully California-centric, but, you know, that's both Drew and us. That's what we're most acquainted with. So wherever you are, you can apply this to where you are. But um, Jerry Brown, who was previously the governor, was always calling it a a housing thing. Gavin Newsom calls it a a housing crisis. He admits that it's also mental health, but, um, and, and you just hear it all the time. I don't know why in particular, but it's just time to stop. Just stop bringing up housing when you're talking about homelessness, because as Drew put it, these people and oh, he makes it. I I read something he wrote that was really interesting. One of the primary uh, symptoms of some of the psychosis that keeps you from living a, a normal life is that you can't recognize that you have a problem. And then if your standard is this person has to self report and turn themselves in and or kill somebody. I mean, that's just idiotic, is dementia comparison. That's what it was about. These people, it's he compared it to stroke. A lot of times when you're having a stroke, if it knocks out, I think it's the right side of your brain, you can't comprehend that you're having a stroke. Oof. And there's not a doctor in the world, even as your hand flops and your oh face sags, right? Brutal. And so doctors know if a patient has those symptoms and says, no, I don't think I'm having a stroke, you don't send them home. You say, oh, yeah, you are, and we're taking care of you. I but, think I'm fine. I don't have any problems. But in schizophrenia. You live on the street. But literally in schizophrenia, you don't know that you have a problem. Mm. And so, anyway. Oh, I yeah, the people I see yelling at the, the cement wall. They just need an apartment, Jack. They're not in any position to uh, self-diagnose anything. They need a tiny home. They're having a very loud conversation in which they are in direct opposition vehemently with the position being held by that cement wall. Yeah, yeah. Well, I could go on and on about, um, and I wish I hadn't in front of me, i got to grab it, but that history of uh, mental health and mental illness care in the 20th century, it reminds me a little bit of, of the crazes that catch hold in education, or it, it's, it's practically like music or, or fashion like clothing fashion, in that a particular ideology caught hold in the, like, 50s, and it swept the nation. All the pros got super excited about it, this idea of shut down the hospitals, go into the communities and say, look, you, you feel a little stressed? Here's what you do. And that'll prevent people from becoming psychotic. It was idiotic. It was based on no data, on no sound research. It was just a craze. And they convinced Kennedy and his people of it 
and and they all turn him loose. And Reagan often gets blamed for closing the mental hospitals, but he was pressured like crazy from the left to do it. And so, yeah, and, and, and we ended up with this idiotic system that doesn't work, and now people are afraid to deal with it. And listen, libertarian types like ourselves were a little cautious about the idea of the government stepping in and locking you up for your own good. And, oh, uh, yeah, I, I think there's got to be a break as well as gas pedal on that move back to sanity. But um, Well, we currently live in a society where the aforementioned, because I saw this woman the other day, yelling at the cement wall under the overpass, mm-hmm. like just really angry, pointing and yelling at the cement wall. What did it do? Don't you have to have a society where somebody can pick her up and take her and, and, and incarcerate her? For that, you're doing her an enormous act of kindness if you do. How, how is that not a possibility? Even as a libertarian, you got to be able to look at her and think that person has got to be put away. They're not capable of making their own decisions. Yeah, I don't think... It's not safe for her or me. Right, right. Well, you could absolutely make the argument, and again, you have to be careful with this argument, but you can make the argument, as Drew did, Dr. Drew, that it's an incredibly cruel thing to leave her out to freeze, starve, get raped, self-medicate with meth or whatever. I mean, that's... other than like you know putting her in some torture chamber and torturing her to death what could you do worse than than insisting that she have that fate so i don't know i'm i'm hoping change is going to come just stop conflating the homeless thing with a housing thing that'd be a big step in the right direction oh it's two separate issues for god's sake If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 